Before we start the show, here's some breaking news. The interview you're about to hear is with Transfemme Chicago-based voiceover artist, writer, sound designer, podcast creatrix, and parkourist Chijoke Williams. And her new podcast, Between Heartbeats, has just dropped its first episode just before this interview came out. So after you listen to this, you could immediately, if you wish, go listen to the first episode of Between Heartbeats. You can find it on your favorite podcasting service, or if you're looking for links to the website or more information, go to allthegenders.com and check out the episodes page, and we have all of the links for you there. I hope you enjoy the new show as much as I did. Now, on to All the Genders. Hi, this is All the Genders, a podcast where we talk about gender identity and queerness with marvelous people sharing their lived experience. If you're a trans or non-binary person, close to someone who is, exploring your gender, an ally, or even if you tuned in because you wanted to get a stand mixer and you thought this was a kitchen appliance show called All the Blenders, this podcast is for you because gender identity is everybody's business and I'm glad you're here. You can hear new episodes every other Monday through your favorite podcast source or online at allthegenders.com. Also, keep an eye out for our new queer science fiction mystery serial podcast, The Scent of Gravity, launching early this year. I'm Quinn, she, her, or they, them. I'm non-binary and bi-gender. Today I'm male, other days I'm female, so I take up a lot of closet space. Today's guest is actress and podcast producer Chijo K. Williams, she, her. Hi, Chi. Hi, Quinn. How are you doing? I am doing great, and thank you for asking. And I think I know the answer to this, but how are you? I am doing so well. I wanted to start out, if we could, asking you if you could give us some words and phrases that kind of describe your identity, your work, your joys, your place in the world. Hmm. I appreciate that. I think the first word that comes to mind is femme. Um, I've always felt very closely aligned with femininity and (laughs) uh, beauty and wanting to see and be part of like the beauty in the world. Uh, And I think a lot of people think that beauty and power are mutually exclusive, but I've never really thought that. So I take a lot of joy in being dynamic and strong and at the same time, very light and joyful and trying to share as much positivity as I can. Mm, Wonderful. (laughs) Can you tell us a bit about your life and where you come from, uh, where you grew up, how you got to be where you are? Happily, uh, circling back slightly to that idea of beauty and power not being mutually exclusive, For as long as I've been here, I have known that the women in my life were just badass and powerful. There's a poster somewhere out there of my mom teaching a uh, a Muay Thai class, and she has these long, beautiful locks. And in the photo, you can see that she is just ducked under a punch so quickly that her hair is still above her, and she's just (laughs) about to nail someone in the kidneys. Um, And that is the example of femininity I had growing up. Oh. And so I've just, I, it is a joy to me 
to be aligned with womanhood and femininity and the power and grace that comes with that. Um, I was born in Florida um, and an immigrant's village in Tallahassee where a lot of people from Cuba and West Africa and a bunch of different uh, cultures of the diaspora were kind of together. Um, and I was raised Yoruba, which is a West African culture um, with a very strong emphasis on storytelling and the Orisha who are basically avatars of the natural world and extensions of humanity. So from a very young age, I had a lot of ideas about the natural world and where I fit into it and also how to best fit into community and what community meant to me. Um, so it was a little jarring when I was in that environment, which was not very, they weren't really pushing masculinity. It didn't feel toxic. They were just people there living their lives. And granted, I was young, so maybe I was missing those things, but it felt wholesome and warm and inclusive. And when I was about five, we moved to Chicago. And I went from this understanding of the people around me are an extension of my family and we are all together in one to seeing a lot of violence perpetrated um, by people who I was like, wait, but we're all the same family. We're all together. Why is this happening? And of course, I didn't really know about redlining and systematic inequality mm -hmm. and the way that the government and the world kind of works to oppress people of color. Um, I was just confused. And when I did learn about those things, I almost had a sense of relief because it was like, ah, okay, I have an explanation for why the world is like this and it's an outside influence. So I've been trying to kind of preserve my optimism by understanding that at our core, we're all still having that beauty and that light and that given the choice, we all choose beauty and light and progress and health. And given not just the choice, but the understanding that when you see those things around you, you can recognize them in yourself. I've tried to dedicate a large part of my interactions with people to, I suppose, paying it forward, making it clear that there's beauty in front of you and there's love inside of you. And I know it sounds very hippie-ish and I've had a lot of people tell me that it's naive, but honestly, which world would you rather live in? the one where people can acknowledge that we have something gorgeous that needs to be shared or the one where it's only negativity and we're all just sad and then we die. I'd like to, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to focus on the first one. So uh, yeah, um, growing up, I had all of these pretty lofty ideas and um, I had this example of femininity equaling power and strength and care and joy all at the same time. So when at a certain age, and for the record, like my mom never really bought into patriarchy at all. And so I wasn't socialized the way a lot of the people around me with my body were, um, for which I am eternally grateful. <laughs> um, so um, at a certain point, I was like, ah, I am not really vibing with um, the way it feels like people are seeing me in a way that is not aligned with the way that I feel on the inside. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I didn't necessarily have the words for transness, but I didn't know what gender fluidity was. So I identified strongly with that for a while. And then I joined my school's GSA and I met some trans folks and I was like, ah, got it. 
And yet it still, it almost didn't feel like an option for me because I felt so trapped within my body that it felt like none of that could change. Hmm. But over time, the misalignment between how I felt and how the world saw me, that gap grew wider and wider until it was like untenable and I had to do something about it. And so I fully socially transitioned uh, about five years ago. And I've been so happy surrounding myself with people who see me and hear me and love me. And uh, I am still strong. I'm still powerful. I do a lot of what some would consider uh, masculine things, but I don't understand how parkour and boxing and martial arts are inherently masculine when we have all sorts of people do them. I think y'all, and this is me yalling at the wider male world, just like having uh, a monopoly on the cool things. And <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I refuse to um, stop doing the things that bring me joy just because other people choose to see them a certain way. Yes. That was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot. And Partly I'm just, I'm overcome by your voice. It's just so beautiful. And you say those oh. beautiful things in it. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's just lovely. You mentioned the sort of this inevitable feeling that, you know, having a certain type of body can sort of impose on you. Mm. And I feel like a, a lot of people I know, myself included, would would kind of connect with that. What did you do with that to work through it? That's a great question. Um, I experimented. Um, I did everything that I could to, if not feel at home in my body, then to feel confident in what it could do. Um, I found that it can be very grounding for me to do parkour, for example, which is the... Uh, somewhat French art of getting from point A to point B in as efficient a manner as possible. If that means a front flip over a bicyclist, <laughs> if that means vaulting over a car or running up a building, um, it's just a lot of physicality um, with the very distinct purpose of either getting away from something or getting towards something. And if that didn't feel like a metaphor for my life and my relationship with my body, <laughs> I don't know what does. So it felt good to feel capable. It felt good to know that even though this wasn't necessarily the body that I would choose, it was a body that could do the things that I wanted it to do. And then, ironically, uh, doing so kept made me like uh, very muscular and all of these things that people associated with masculinity again. And so I experimented more and I started estrogen. And I noticed my body changing in ways that were very validating in a lot of ways. And then at the same time, I was like, oh, well, but I kind of miss my abs. Mm. So I like somewhat, I stopped estrogen for a bit so that I could like regain my prior metabolism. And now I'm basically, I'm playing that game of trying to find the middle ground because I do plan to start estrogen again. And I want to reach a certain level of something, I suppose, physical strength before I do. Um, and it's just me going back and forth, trying to see what makes me the most comfortable. And in this entire process, it's not just physical. It's There's a lot of meditation. There's a lot of like mm. thinking and feeling and processing the emotions that being in this body gives me. And 
it's a journey. You know, there's some days where it's a lot more difficult for me to look at myself um, than others. And then there's some days where I, and these days they usually come from me feeling capable. Those days I love my body and I love what it can let me do and how I can sail through the air and move as quickly as I want to. And I'm finding a middle ground between understanding that though I wish I had a different one, the one I have now is not too bad. Mm. I want to ask you about this new podcast you have coming out between ah. the beats. <laughs> yes, my baby. The first thing is, I wondered if you could just share with our listeners what it's about. Happily. So Between Heartbeats takes place in a parallel Chicago, uh, very similar to our own, with one critical difference. In this world, people who go through sufficient levels and types of trauma gain powers. If someone is in a house fire and it's burning down around them, if they're lucky, that person is able to manifest being fireproof or being able to control fire, and it lets them survive. Maybe someone falls off of a building and manages to be able to fly. It doesn't work for everyone. In fact, it's about one in a thousand, so you can't quite count on it. But for these people who go through the trauma, they gain these fantastic abilities. But unfortunately, this doesn't really lead to having superheroes flying around the city and the world being a better place, at least not in this city because the last thing most of us are ready to do when we've been traumatized is help other people. There's work that needs to be done before that happens. And so you have a city full of people who are hurting and who need support and who were they to have that support would actually be able to make the city a better place. But instead the city and the government reacts with fear and it cracks down on the empowered. Mm. And so the city cracks down on the empowered and so instead of getting them therapy, they're not allowed to use their abilities in public. They're not allowed to really use them around the unpowered. And they are seen as public menaces. Our story follows Sunjata, a guilt-ridden time manipulator with a knack for unemployment, and Nadia, a moralistic telepath determined not to lose control, as they balance frayed mental health against an extremely unsympathetic police state. But when a malevolent presence rears its head, their neuroses become the least of their problems. So the story follows and asks the question, can our heroes make the most of their abilities and work through their own trauma before the option is taken from them? This feels like it's not entirely fictional. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love about science fiction and fantasy, how you can take ideas and make them physical and start mm -hmm. working with them. So what connects for you so strongly in this? What was the germ that got this growing in you? Oh, man. Um, there's a few different things to say here. One, I was uh, pretty heavily inspired by a story by J.C. McRae um, called Worm, which is uh, has a somewhat similar premise, except my story is about hope and hopefully um, the characters work toward a place where they're able to improve and make themselves in the world a better place. In Worm, while trauma does give people powers, it makes them fight hmm. and they, the world just becomes worse and worse and worse. And it's an extremely dark story. And while I loved the mechanics and the characters, I was thinking like this just 
is heartbreaking to watch and read. And I'd had a seed of a story in my mind and my heart for a while about a young girl who's able to control fire and is like sitting on a plastic castle while it drizzles around her and weaving flame in between her fingers. And I'd been writing it for a bit and it just felt like the world of that story was expanding more and more until that element of A, seeing that girl who for some reason looked a lot like me. Um, <laughs> That's a funny coincidence. <laughs> oh, I know, like, how, wow, who, what are the odds? Um, but seeing this girl and her power and wondering what her story was and knowing what it is like to be a hurt person, trying your best to see the beauty in the world. And those two themes kind of drew together until they combined into the basis for the story. Why did you decide on doing a podcast as opposed to short stories, a play, mm. movie? Oh, honey, um, trust me when I say I, I went, I ran the gamut. I wrote it as a screenplay. I wrote it in novel form and as prose. Um, but I have always loved audio. I just love a good storyteller. I love when I can close my eyes and it feels like I'm falling into a different world. It just, it feels right. It always has. And so I love the idea of being able to put something out there where even if it's just for 25 or 30 minutes at a time, someone can put on their headphones and fall into this world that I've created, which is pretty similar to ours, except, you know, there are superpowers and super scientists and a lot more destruction, but in the end, an equal amount of hope. Mm. You seem to focus a lot on hope and joy and tapping into the latent capacity we all have to be joyful and to connect with other people. Mm -hmm. How do you then build that into your story, considering that stories so often are about troubles oh, and yeah. problems. And... 100%. Um, one of the mainstays that I let guide me when I'm writing is that a lot of stories are about contrast. Um, and sometimes it is easiest to recognize and acknowledge that joy when someone has been miserable first. Mm. And I think, uh, and so the protagonist of the story, Sunjata, uh, is just extremely anxious and very depressed and <laughs> spoilers got their ability in a time when they were running and fleeing from someone who they had trusted and so it mirrors i think the experience that a lot of people of color and also queer people go through where it's trying to figure out who you can trust and who is in your corner and that process can be really hard sometimes, but when you find those people, it's like getting to the end of a rainbow. Mm. And so I think sometimes you have to have a very honest depiction of that mental health struggle and what it's like to be going through these things because once you've laid out how difficult that is, people can start seeing that journey step by step, moving towards something that's a lot more hopeful and easier to bear. But <laughs> make no mistake, while there are heavy themes of uh, joy and redemption and beauty in between heartbeats, it's a sad world. Uh, there are a lot of oppressed people who are doing their best just to get by. And our protagonist is one of them. How are you bringing this show to life? You need 
a cast, you need audio engineering, you need oh, scripts. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's this is uh, several years in the making, at least three to four years in the making. And I've written uh, about half of the first season. Well, I've written the whole season, but we have like actual line by line lines for the characters for half of the first season. I'm directing my actors. I have a full cast who I reached out to online and through different voiceover circles. I have a co-writer and uh, I am a director. And so basically, and like I said, I've always loved storytelling and audio drama has a special place in my heart. It is my favorite medium. So I wanted to make sure that I did this right. I didn't just want to come out with something that was well-written, but didn't have very good sound design. So I worked and worked until I was a much better sound designer. And then I thought, well, okay, the sound design is great, but this writing needs work. So I spent another couple of years making sure that I was a better script writer. And eventually during all of that time, I shared my vision for the story with people online and they came on board little by little until we had a full cast. I have co-writer and editors and a bunch of people who share this vision and are excited to be a part of it. If you don't have the answer to this next question yet, not a problem, <laughs> but okay. um, do you know when the show will launch? Ah, okay, so here's the thing. It was supposed to launch in December of 2022, and I got extremely sick. Like I was hospitalized, lost a bunch of weight. It was not good. So we're aiming for February 14th at the latest of this year. Uh, it's January 10th now. So in a little bit more than a month, the first episode of Between Heartbeats is coming out. And I am so excited. And like, I've been working on this for so long. It is a proof of concept, not just of my skill, but my creative ability and also that of everyone I'm working with. It means so much to me and we are so close. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> and this interview should actually come out, I think, just barely after, although we can Ooh. switch it up if you want to have it come out earlier, but this may be perfect timing. I think it may come out. I think, yeah. That's mad exciting, though. It is. In addition to experiencing a story that's engaging and that has joy in it and that has the emotional payoff that a strong story has, mm -hmm. what do you hope people take away from this or think about? Yeah. Well, first of all, there are certain things that I just haven't seen in audio drama that knowing the audience, I'm very surprised I haven't seen. For example, I know audio drama has a disproportionately high amount of queer people in the audience. Like we've got a ton of queer folks who love podcasts. And also a lot of the voice actors I know are queer and trans. And yet I have not seen a lot, maybe a couple podcasts that talk about the journey of self-discovery that comes with examining your own gender identity. I haven't really seen it a lot. And I definitely haven't seen it with people of color. Mm. I have not seen any Black trans representation in audio drama whatsoever. And I was thinking if I'm not going to see it, then I want to put it out there because I know I'm not the only trans woman who loves audio drama. And I know I'm not the only one who loves superpowers. So if y'all aren't gonna do it, then I am happy to. And <laughs> to be honest, like, I, 
it means a lot to me to be able to write a story that very closely mirrors my own experience hmm. with this character who is struggling in capitalism, constantly being misgendered, but not able to say anything about it because then maybe their job is at risk. And it's so hard to get a job when you're like this and et cetera, and et cetera. And so I really, that representation was really important to me as well as just, I haven't seen a lot of superhero audio drama either. And even though it's not technically a superhero story, I think heroism can mean a lot of things. And I think that living your true identity and being yourself in a world that does not necessarily like you and was definitely not made for you is a heroism of its own. You can be your own hero. And I want that to be part of the story as well. Mm. I want to inspire people. And I really hope Between Heartbeats does that. I'm really excited to hear this show, as you can imagine. Thanks. So what's the balance you're looking to strike between the trans struggle and trans joy mm. in this story? I think this is one of the things that led to me creating a lot of different dynamic characters, because I have some characters or one, for example, Sunjata is the one who's going through this self-discovery journey, knows that they hate being called he and him and boy, but hasn't quite yet put their finger on why. Hmm. And then I have this other character, Tether, who is basically this extremely blithe, almost mercenary, who is non-binary. And if not violent, then let's say physically pragmatic. <laughs> And Tether just does not care about anyone's opinion whatsoever. And they also have another character, Ez, who is able to, <laughs> a quick aside, in the Between Heartbeats world, there are some people who have these incredible powers. And there's other people who have this instinctive intuition about the fields of physics that those powers bring. So while one person may be able to shapeshift, another person may just automatically know how to perform excellent, perfect surgery on the human body. Hmm. So one of those characters uh, built himself exactly the body that he needed, exactly the body that he wanted, and has set up a shop in the community that allows everyone around them to get what they need. That is the trans joy that I would like to see. That is, I think, what we would all like to have. And God damn it, if we can't get it in the real world, you best believe I'm putting it in my fiction. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> there was a BBC show years ago called Misfits. Yes, yes, yes. I okay. love Misfits. Yes, absolutely. There was a character in there, though, and they didn't mm -hmm. spend much time on him, but there was a trans guy in there whose power was to swap genitalia with people, yeah. which just gives our listeners maybe an idea how screwed up this this show is in a, in a good way. But... <laughs> It, it was kind of it was kind of like a problem in the show and i i've i've always thought that wouldn't be a problem that's an incredible power they could just go around and and just they'd be like the trans easter bunny well, i was gonna say messiah but yes exactly. <laughs> <laughs> wait i'm not i'm not deeply familiar with easter there's a it's not the same <laughs> oh, <laughs> me either honestly yeah. maybe eggs are like genitalia i don't oh you know what yeah close enough they, yeah all right that works 
<laughs> um, but yeah, it, same energy, or rather, if not same energy, then um, because yeah, I also saw that episode and I thought it was amazing. And I know literally every single trans person I know has verbally said, oh man, I wish I could switch with you. Or, oh, I wish I were able to just take this off. I would even give it to someone else. Right. And to have that option, I think would mean a lot to a lot of people. I think you're right. And uh, we're probably a few years out, I imagine. From... <laughs> I always say, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen right before I die. But as long as I get to see it in my lifetime, I'll be happy. So, of course, there are practical challenges as you're developing your show. Mm -hmm. Are there emotional challenges while you're developing oh, your show? Hon, yes. Oh, my goodness. Like I said, the protagonist's um, struggles very closely mirror mine. So it can be difficult to write these scripts and put myself in the headspace necessary to make the character realistic, especially because um, because it's taken me so long to write this, oftentimes I will go through the personal growth that I need the character to go through faster than I can write it. So for example, at the very beginning of the story, the character is like kind of struggling with gender and wondering what things are. I already know where I am. I am a trans woman. I am here. I am comfortable and fabulous in my femininity, but it's going to take my character time to get there. And so I have to go back and think about the steps that I went through to get to where I am and how comfortable I am and break that down and then fictionalize it just enough that it's not exactly what happened to me, but it's close enough that I can write it as a true depiction. And so it's, it's a little rough sometimes because we talk about mental health and depression and overcoming anger and capitalism and all of these really heavy themes. And the reason I'm writing them is because they're real and I want people to know that, you know, they're not struggling with it alone, but that also means that I have to re-immerse myself in it. Not to mention the fact that um, I'm a pretty good sound designer if I do say so myself. And that means that sometimes the scenes that I'm creating are very realistic. And if I'm, for example, depicting a panic attack and I'm using binaural audio to make whispers in the left ear and the right ear, and it's my voice and my audio. So if I'm saying something like, why do you think you can do this? You should just give up. It's not worth the effort. I'm literally hearing myself say these corrosive thoughts as I'm trying to work. And it can be a little, but at the same time, it's worth the story. That's the thing that stands out to me as the most difficult thing for me mm -hmm. about acting, which I don't usually do, except I am doing some in the podcast that we're doing. But mm -hmm. this putting yourself in an emotional place of either somebody going through something really rough or of somebody being terrible. Mm -hmm. Does any of that feel like this is I this is kind of out of left field? Does any of that feel like internalized voices mm. of I don't know? I've internalized a lot of crosstalk mm -hmm. about gender and what people are supposed to be like and what I'm supposed to be like. Mm. 
I don't know. I think I may be wandering off into the woods with this question. I think I know what you mean, though. And uh, to an extent, I feel a little lucky because, like I said, the way that I was raised, there really was not a lot of toxic masculinity. Hmm. Or rather, when there was, it was so very clearly toxic that it was very easy not to internalize it. If someone was saying like, oh, that's girly and therefore weak, it was like, well, my mom can bench press me. So no. <laughs> and if someone was saying like, oh, you should be more manly, I would just look at all the men in my life who weren't shit and be like, well, great. I don't want to be manly if that's what that looks like. Hmm. And as I've grown older, I just have a pretty strong BS meter. So when I hear toxic stuff about gender or how I should be acting or anything like that, I more or less just roll my eyes. I'm sure that I internalized some of it and it's really hard to be in the world uh, and not absorb any of these things. But for the most part, I feel like I may have been lucky enough to bypass a lot of those things. Not bypass. It's not like I've never heard them, but it's like, it's, it doesn't, it feels, ah, oh, that's what it is. It feels like satire. Like when someone says that like men are better than women or women are inferior, it feels so inherently stupid that it almost <laughs> it almost registers as a joke because it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. What a dumb thing to say. There was a show that I wasn't even watching. I was walking through the room while it was playing recently and there was a character saying all these toxic things mm. and i was thinking about how i would argue with this character if this were real life and one of the other characters just says you're an idiot yeah and i'm like oh that's the response and i don't you know i'm not generally inclined to call people idiots and so forth but i think it's worth calling out mm -hmm. things like that instead of engaging with them as though they had some merit oh yes 100 percent. when people say things like that and i i also don't necessarily make it a habit to insult people for no reason but when people say things like that god damn you just gave me a reason <laughs> <laughs> and so i will call it out i will point it out and i am happy to deconstruct those arguments because the screws are loose already it's barely a twist of the wrench before it's gone and it's just <laughs> It's a joy to point out that they have no legs to stand on because the table's already rickety. It's really interesting to me to talk with you and absorb some of your perspective when, like, I, I didn't grow up in an especially toxic environment. I guess I feel like I grew up in an averagely misogynistic, mm -hmm. you know, blinded kind of American environment. Um, but I have so much internalized talk and it's wonderful to realize that's not universal. Not everybody has to necessarily deal with that same quantity. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people who have to deal with a much larger quantity of it than I do. Mm -hmm. But there's a, a sort of lightness about you if you don't mind my saying so. I do not. Although, ah, this does make me think, okay, so my lightness is a choice. Mm. It is a conscious choice to view the world this way and try to be the type of person 
who brings that type of energy out there because I know the world needs it. And I wanna point out that the trans experience can be different across the board, across the spectrum. And that like bringing in race and being a person of color while also being trans can really change that because well, being bringing in race and then bringing in the fact that our existing beauty standards are heavily Eurocentric. Mm. And so passing means different things for a lot of people. So while what I've internalized has not been any kind of personal toxicity or anything that I personally have to deal with, I think the fact that my beauty standard and myself clashes with the dominant culture by sheer virtue of me not being white and waif-like, and that seems to be the type of trans femme that is most acceptable. I have had to make a conscious decision to understand that there are many different types of beauty that even though people would call me hot and handsome as a man, I can still be beautiful as a woman because not only is beauty in the eye of the beholder, I behold myself. I know that I am attractive, not just because like I tell myself over and over because I need to believe it, but because I have been in enough experiences and had it validated enough ways by both myself and the people around me that I understand that the toxicity and the violence and all of the things that I see around me, those are the reflections of the people themselves, not necessarily of the world and definitely not of everyone. I think there's really consistent messaging and advertising and media about what's supposed to be beautiful. But when I talk to people, individual people seem to have very yeah. different ideas mm -hmm. of this, which is wonderful and gives me hope. Yeah. Because we're not all taken in mm -hmm. by this, even though we're bombarded by it. Yes, exactly. And I think that says a lot about people's individual tastes and the fact that I really appreciate that you used the phrase taken in because that is usually used with a connotation of a con or some sort of like long game. Mm. And the media definitely has an agenda that kind of pushes a certain type of beauty being palatable with other types being less so. And I appreciate, like you said, that we're not all taken in by that. We all know that there's more to being seen than, you know, perfect symmetry or thinness, you know. Indeed. Can uh, you tell our listeners where they can go to hear Between Heartbeats when it's out? Um, so you can listen to Between Heartbeats on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you look for podcasts. And is there a website where people can come to learn more? Yes, there is. Betweenheartbeatsp.wixsite.com. Also, if you want to find us on Twitter, you can search up Between Pod or at Between Pod, and on Instagram at Between Heartbeats Pod. And you can also um, find our trailers there, although by the time this comes out, there will be more to listen to than just a trailer. And uh, of course, we'll have all of these links on the episode page at allthegenders.com if you want to find your way there. Do you have anything you'd like to share that we haven't thought to touch on yet? 
If you would like to see something in the world, you can put it out there. If you feel like you're not seeing it and you're not seeing yourself represented and you have a spark of a story in your heart, let it beat and put it out. Someone will hear it. Someone will appreciate it. And sometimes art for art's sake is enough. Sometimes reflecting what you feel in your inner world out into the outer world is enough. And you never know who's listening and you never know what your work is going to mean to someone. So do the thing. If you're wondering whether you should do something, if you're wondering whether it's worth the effort, it is always worth the effort. You can do it. It's important. And you matter. All right. That's okay. That's gorgeous. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thanks. Of course. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's it's so lovely to talk to you and meet you. It's been a joy. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Our music is by the groovily synergistic Don and Jen. We post new episodes every other Monday, and you can find us online at allthegenders.com and on Instagram at allthegenderspodcast. <laughs>